Hi, this is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 11th episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please find me at Home Bodies Yoga on Facebook and Instagram. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Well, hello and happy new president. Uh, Okay, so this is probably like the least important thing about having a new president, like the least, you know, like way, way behind the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, But I, I never know how to start emails, you know, like feel like there's just like not much to say a lot so salutations are kind of tricky um and I love happy new year because that works for everyone you have like a whole month able to do I mean you know you could probably even do it into February but now we have another one right after happy new year on its tails is happy new president so we've got like all of these ways we can start emails now which is great honestly I'm thankful for it there's a lot of other things I'm thankful for with this new presidency but you know that's that's one for me too um yeah uh, my practice this week has been well I guess I should tell you my tailbone is healed thank god it was all very dramatic for me but (laughs) things are much better so that's good uh yeah kind of healed by itself the way you know sometimes the body can do which is awesome and yeah let's see so um I've been feeling like really having a really hard time focusing maybe you can tell from this intro but just like you know usually I'm pretty good at not looking at my phone when I practice but I've just like find myself on my phone in the middle of my practice lately and I've been like having a really hard time meditating it's been like super frustrating um and I've just realized that uh you know, yoga and meditation is a relationship. It's really like, you know, an outward show of my relationship with myself. And I think, uh, you have to kind of stick with it even when it's difficult. So I've been, you know, still practicing, still doing meditation. And I do find the more that I meditate, the better I am at focusing, even if the whole meditation, all I want to do is stop for some reason, just having that, uh, knowledge that it's possible for me to have the discipline to sit still and not look at my phone or not get up or not scratch an itch or whatever is really helpful for the rest of uh, the day and the rest of my practice. So that's been helpful. And then I realized that I practice in the afternoon at 1 p.m., which is kind of like a tricky time, like right after I put Hudson to bed and, you know, days in a pandemic where we can't go anywhere really except outside and you know it's cold so you can't go for too long or like you know the time between Hudson waking up and his nap time at 1 p.m is a long time uh so I just think I'm kind of like scattered by then so I've been I'm really really lucky that I could kind of switch a schedule around so I have some time in the morning to practice yoga then you know for maybe 30 minutes or so and actually I'm so much more focused then and then because I start my day on that focus note it seems to like I don't know bring its flavor through the rest of my day so I've been much more focused when I can practice in the morning which good information like um, before maybe if I had time in the morning I would like do the spin bike or like go for a run which does have its merits but I think for some reason doing a focus practice where I have to really go within 
early in the morning helps me kind of stay focused and uh, connected to myself the rest of the day. Um, so I guess that's a note to self or, or I don't know, maybe you can relate. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because the next thing I wrote in my notes was Ashtanga hard. <laughs> uh, in episode nine, Olivia really, or I guess that was episode 10, Olivia really convinced me to try the primary series again. And whoo, that is hard. So many chaturangas, the hop backs, the hop forwards. I mean, I can't believe I have so much respect for yogis who do that every day. Like, wow, I did not even finish it. I was like, not even, I was really doing my own brand of Ashtanga yesterday. Or it wasn't yesterday, it was over the weekend. But, and man, I was sore for days after. Whew, it was like intense. Um, but it is kind of nice if you know the poses. Uh, pretty well then it's kind of nice to just I like was looking at a chart to remind myself what the poses were so uh, it made it kind of nice because I didn't have to watch anything or listen to anything to do it and I just kind of uh, could look really quick and I didn't get like too drawn into a book or anything because I sort of know the sequence so in, in that respect in that regard it was nice it made me think of how uh, in ball and episode five was saying it's really nice to have the sequence. I can definitely see that. Um, my sequence just might not be Ashtanga. Sheesh, sore four days. Um, yeah, and then, well, <laughs> this is not a segue at all, but let's just talk about what I want to talk about next. Um, on our episode today, I'm really excited to have Estrude Castillo. She is, um, well, so you know how in movies there's this, you know, quote unquote spiritual person and, you know, they're kind of like hard to connect to and they feel kind of holier than thou and they wear these like robes or whatever. Um, that's not really what spiritual people are like. People who have really worked on themselves and really work to connect to spirit, which is, you know, themselves and and all of us. are tend to be like really down to earth and really warm, like really good to talk to. And that's Estrude. Like that's the brand of Estrude, uh, the brand of spirituality that that Estrude, like just exudes. It just comes out of her pores. So it was so nice to talk to her about something she's so passionate about, which is mantra. But because she's so passionate, and I am so interested in hearing her talk, I d- we didn't explain a couple things that I think maybe uh, you might not know about. So uh, mantra is basically chanting and it can be chanting with music or without as does it with music. And it's usually chanting to the different Hindu gods. Um, but as far as I understand in the Hindu tradition, those gods are really just representations of different parts of the self, you know, capital S self, you know, the God in all of us. So, you know, chanting to Krishna is chanting to God, uh, is chanting to love. So, you know, it might sound maybe, maybe it sounds like something you're not used to hearing uh, this idea of chanting, but really you can think of it as just a way of like, um, showing appreciation for love, you know, uh, chanting to, Krishna are chanting to Ganesha showing this appreciation for foundation um so yeah so um that's mantra and then kirtan is similar mantra it's basically a mantra done in a group where there's the uh, kirtan leader does call and response so the kirtan leader will start you know with the chant and then the crowd responds and there's usually like a lot of dancing and music and it's really fun it's like you know yogi's night out or, or whatever um 
And that is another part of, it's kind of like, you know, a big joyful prayer all together. And that's another part of Estrude's spiritual practice. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing is we talk about the Lotus and by that we mean Laughing Lotus, which, so Laughing Lotus was started in 1999 by Jasmine Tarkeshi and Dana Flynn in New York City. And, um, then they opened another studio in San Francisco, which is where I sort of hooked up. And by then it was just Jasmine uh, at, at the center in San Francisco. And that's where I kind of, that's when I kind of like hooked up with Laughing Lotus and started learning and eventually teaching from there. And Estrude is one of Jasmine's best friends. So, or best friend, I don't know. I don't know how they label it. Maybe they don't have labels. But uh, so Estrude and Jasmine have known each other forever, I think. And they were together in New York when uh, Jasmine started Laughing Lotus there. And then Estrude came with her to New to San Francisco and has taught at Laughing Lotus in San Francisco as long as I've been there. And I think, you know, probably as long as I went there and I think probably, you know, as long as um, it's been there. Um, so when we're talking about Jasmine and we're talking about Laughing Lotus, that's what we're talking about. So Jasmine was like one of my first yoga teachers and Estrude is her really good friend who also taught there and was also one of my first yoga teachers. Um, so a little background just in case you get in the weeds there when we're chatting about that. Uh, yeah, so here is the lovely and um, down-to-earth spirit yogi Estrude. Um, so let's get started. Um, can you talk a little, I didn't know how to introduce you because you wear so many hats. <laughs> so can we talk a little bit about your work, just all of the different work you do? Yeah, what can I tell you? Um, well, as you know, primary, well, I don't know, primary, well, I teach yoga, right? I've been doing it for over 20 years and also leading a lot of kirtan and also sharing a lot of, um, mantra with people. So I also teach teacher teachers in training, right? Bhakti. Um, and then also teaching music, or I don't want to call it music, I'm going to call it mantra, because I'm not a music teacher. <laughs> um, and what else do what I do? I teach a lot of workshops and yeah, lead kirtan, or I used to lead kirtan all around, but now I do it on zoom all around. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and when I met you, I was cutting hair for uh, 24 years. And I do a little of that on the side once in a blue moon. But now I'm just teaching in a lot of, a lot more, um, probably mantra. My focus is on mantra these days. I'm still teaching at Laughing Lotus. And I teach um, classes, donation-based classes on my own with some students. And I teach at... Um, about four times a week, I teach at uh, treatment facilities, recovery treatment facilities. So I'm working with those folks doing asana and teaching workshops with them. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know you did that. That's what sustains me. And that's what I, I love it. It's great. Yeah, that's such important work. I bet that's so helpful for them. Yeah, apparently it's been wonderful. Um, you know, there it's there. One's an inpatient, one's an outpatient, and I used to go to the inpatient one in Sausalito, really beautiful facility, and it was just amazing, you know, to to watch them transform. and And I know what that recovery process is like. So, to for them to have this opportunity to get into their bodies as they're 
cleaning house, you know, both inside and out. Um, it's really beautiful because, you know, some of them have done some yoga and a lot of them have never done it. And, and uh, so I just approach it depending on who's the room, who's in the room. And I often will bring my harmonium and only in the end when they're, when they're in Shavasana, do I sneak in a mantra and just kind of chant to them. Otherwise I can be really neutral and really simple. And it's great. It's wonderful. That's so cool. It's so, I feel like the, I mean, one thing that substance abuse does is like take you out of your body. So how beautiful to like get back in there. <laughs> I mean, also difficult sometimes I'm sure, but um, I wanted to ask you about mantra because I feel like as I've known you, you're well, or maybe I've just seen more and more of your love of mantra or, or, or has, am I right in saying that your mantra, your love of mantra and your focus on mantra has gotten more and more as the years have gone on. Is that right? I would say so. Um, you know, the love for asana is real. It's what it was the gateway into this whole realm of yoga. But, um, and it came fairly easy for me, you know, and it was great. And I, I felt the transformation inward transformation. I didn't get like the crazy yoga body right off the bat, you know, but I was just like, wow, how I felt was shifting. And I love that I could have a belly and that I could feel a level of softness and yet feel fiercely strength, strong like that. I love that combination, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, but that was in my, late twenties. I started, I took my first yoga class in 1989 at Juva Mukti in New York. And I just wasn't ready to receive all of that. But, you know, so I started late twenties, thirties. So a lot of awesome, a lot of fun times, but in the end, man, it just like what really sustains me and, you know, softens my heart and my attitude and all of it, the stuff that really, you know, sustains my practice on a daily basis when I leave the house is chanting to God, you know, or just chanting to peace, whatever you want to call it, you know, um, that has a sustaining effect. And the two together, of course, are powerful, really super powerful, but um, there's something to the vibration that moves through me that really softens the, the harder edges that still exists in me. Mm. That mantra, or excuse me, that asana, you know, I love the way I feel after an asana class, but I don't know, in the end, after so many years of practicing, it's just like, it's, I think it's really natural. That's why, you know, there's those three stages of life and there's three stages of practice. Desika Char talks about it, you know, asana, pranayama, and dhyana. And as we get older, my God, I'm 52 years old. It's just like, okay, less asana, more pranayama and, and more meditation. And then when you get into your sixties, it's like a little bit of asana, a few of these more focus on the breath. And then you're able to sit longer, you know, it's more time for contemplation. So with the mantra too, I'm using more pranayama, there's breath, right? So I'm kind of in that stage where I don't need to practice for an hour every day. I don't, I don't need that, you know, 20 minutes, half hour. I'll take some, there's a few people I will take their class. So it's an hour and 15 minutes these days, you know, which these days I feel like over zoom an hour 15 minutes is forever. That's like really giving some time. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I got to gear up for this. <laughs> Funny, right? I know. 
I know I used to never think about it I'd be like, oh, an hour and a half at a yoga class, fine. Like I'll go. And now, I mean, especially with the toddler, but yeah, it feels like a real travel time and all of it. It was like three hours out of our day devoted for like that class. And now it's just like, you know, you don't have to go very far, but you're like, oh my God, an hour and 15. <laughs> uh, and I have to change my pants. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so is that what your practice is these days? Are you chanting every day for yourself? Like you wake up in the morning and that's what you do or? Yeah, I'll get up and I will come I'll prepare my cacao or my matcha. <laughs> <laughs> and I usually get up around 4.30 in the morning and then I'll either do a little, little Hare Krishna or a little Gayatri. Just maybe like it could be five minutes. And then that just prepares me for like whether I'm doing a little writing or reading or whatever, you know. And then I usually later on I'll sit and I'll and I'll spend some more time either trying to come up with new mantras or just playing with I'm gonna I'm preparing to do a new CD. So, you know, it's I don't I'm not really like recreating or reinventing some new things. I'm just like deepening the practice with maybe one or two or three of them, or how can I explore a little bit? And it, it doesn't it's not about really so much figuring out. It's just like sitting with it and playing it and playing it. But I'm getting little deeper and more familiar with some mantras as I prepare for the CD. Oh, that's so cool. Um, is there, can you tell us one of the mantras or is it a surprise? <laughs> well, not a I mean, you know, I'll be, I wanted to highlight whether it's one or two recordings of the Maha Mantra. So Hare Krishna, one that I have never recorded before. Well, I've only had one CD before, but um, mm-hmm. I will be doing a version of Tuameva Mata, Chapita Tuameva, which, um, I really like, I, I don't know. I think I may have come up with it. It's just simple, but I, but it's, yeah, I'm looking forward to adding that on. And also a shloka to Vishnu, um, which I've chanted a lot online. Um, so bringing those two in the mix will be new. Cause I'm probably, you know, Ram and of course a Krishna and we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> That's exciting. Um, is it been, I don't want to be like a bummer and bring up the pandemic, but has it been hard? Um, Because chanting for me, I actually have never really chant when I'm alone in my room, but I love to be with people chanting. Has that been difficult for you to not be getting that like big warm room of chanting? (laughs) Oh, of course. It's, yeah, but I have completely surrendered and I'm completely making do with what we have. But it's hard. But I will tell you, I am incredibly blessed, blessed because, you know, I live in an ashram. Mm-hmm. So I have six other people here. And so, and I lead Kirtan. I live in integral yoga. So I have like, you know, we're a functioning yoga center everything's online, but we have satsangs, kirtans, classes, everything, you know? And, and so it's very conducive and I have a built-in band now. It's not my original band, but it's wonderful. And I chant um, mantra meditation at noon here every Tuesday for a couple years. And then um, I lead kirtan here and I have them as my band. So I have people responding and then, you know, I love on zoom. I love doing kirtans on zoom because I can see people and I can see them dancing and I can, you know, we can have that exchange, even if it's just visually, it's like darshan. And then, you know, I do a lot of my chanting on Instagram 
And so I'm just like, where are you from? What's bringing you here? How are you? So I love when people, people can respond because it's like, I can't see their face. Right. Yeah. So it's hard, but you can tap into the, the feeling knowing people are there, but it's definitely different. But because I have the, the folks here, I mean, you know, like, uh, at least once a week or when, when we have a kirtan, like I get a feeling of that. Yeah, that sounds great. I didn't realize you were living in an ashram. That's awesome. Yeah, you um, know, in yoga on Dolores and 21st. Yeah, I do. I do very well. That's yeah. That's so nice. Um, what is that like? Like, how is that different from your life living in an apartment? Not that different except you know, everything is based on yogic principles. It's very relaxed for an ashram. It's beautiful. Swami Ramananda, I live with two of the most lovable, wonderful, kind, down-to-earth uh, swamis, Divyananda, Swami Divyananda, Swami Ramananda, and then um, six residents. And, you know, it's wonderful. It's very uh, easy to be here. You know, there's no curfew. Um we have a responsibility. We have, you know, I still have a desk shift I have to do Wednesday nights. We all take turns. We answer phones and um, we have a chore that we do every week and we have, you know, responsibility to the house. And then we have 10 meditations we have to do every week, four in the morning. Uh, we do an hour long sit at six in the morning. And then throughout the, there's three meditations that happen each day. So you can pick and choose, you know, and what works for your schedule. Um, and when we were open, you know, we were an open functioning yoga center. There's three, four floors in this building and there's several rooms, uh, asana rooms. So I have my own yoga center, basically, <laughs> you know, now That's it's nice. like, we can choose what room to operate from and where I live, I live in the basement floor, which is actually nice. It sounds, basement sounds weird, but it's like, it's the one room in the entire house that I can be playing mantra singing almost at the top of my lungs at two in the morning and nobody can hear me. So for that, I, for all of it, I thank the gods every day and to be with these people in service every day, you know, in service. It's amazing. It's given me purpose and structure and an incredible home to live in. You know, this Victorian was built in the 1800s, you know, and it's huge. And who would have ever thought we would be able to live here as normal people, not a yoga center. <laughs> oh my God. It's surreal. That's so nice. So um, do you guys like eat dinner together every night or? No, we like, we try and have a lunch because we used to have twice a week, we'd have a community lunch. People would donate money and come and, and we had a, a, a a kitchen ma, we called her, and she would prepare the meals. Now we 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 eat it. We have meditation at twelve, and then we sit around uh, one together. If you're home, you know we cook together. Sometimes one person we take turns cooking, and then we have a couple beautiful places to eat, including a beautiful yard with big benches. So sometimes we sit out there, definitely in the spring and summer. And um, and so if you're home and you want to eat, you can eat. There's no like you're not held to it. And if there's left nice. for everybody, usually dinner is just kind of on your own. 
Well, that's nice. Yeah, that is relaxed. I lived at Satchitananda Ashram for a while and I loved it, but it was, and actually I needed it. I really needed some structure then. I was like very confused about my life. So it was perfect for me, but it was very structured. Yeah. Like Shivananda, who was the, um, Satchitananda is a disciple of Shivananda and Shivananda is like, that is like boot camp <laughs> personality and certain kind of, you know, offering they have, which is wonderful, wonderful. But it's like, yeah, you have to participate in this doors lock at this time. Yeah. It's very different. Definitely good for like a, as someone like a baby on their spiritual journey. But I think for someone like you, you're like a grown ass woman, like probably not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. We had a, a, a man here, a lovely man from Egypt. And um, he had just done his teacher training in Yogaville through this lineage and he wanted to live in the ashram and he was a great photographer, really amazing fellow. And he was living in LA, put all his, sold everything, went to Virginia, did his training. And then he wanted to come live here. He doesn't like San Francisco, but he wanted to live in an ashram. And I guess, I don't know why he didn't stay in Virginia, but he just thought, okay, I'll go to San Francisco and live at the ashram there. And it was, we were tight in the beginning. And then he was just like, he, he had a lot of stuff he had to deal with. And he just was like, you guys call this an ashram? Oh, no. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot for everybody. Yeah. And eventually he left because he just, he was like, this is no ashram. <laughs> you know, he, like you said, he needed that more rigid, structured kind of way of, you know. And all of us, I'm the youngest one here. Everybody's in their 60s and 70s. Um and has been practicing for a long time and has just developed that. It's just kind of part of their life. So it is. Yeah. You don't need anyone to wake you up at four 30 cause you're up anyway, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, we, what was the ashram you were at? I was at Satchitananda in Yogaville. Oh my God. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, there's actually, I was going to tell you, there are two ways I really learned how to meditate. One was at Satchitananda. And then I feel so silly. I can't remember the name of this ashram, but you know, the one on Folsom, like Folsom in 25th. Yoga Society. Yoga Society. I used to go to their fire ceremonies. And honestly, meditating in the morning, especially because it's cold, it's even cold in our house, you know, because it's freezing here. Um, and I just miss it when I'm meditating alone, I'll sit. And sometimes I just picture being back there, it like pops in my mind. Cause, uh, that was meditating with people is almost better than practicing asana with people. I think I used to go at six in the morning, every morning, every morning for like six months, um, to Shivananda. Mm. I don't know if you ever went to their ashram. I haven't. From Golden Gate Park, but uh. they didn't their building like we do and so they got they got moved about five or six years ago so they they had to sell the buildings it was horrible they had been there forever so they closed down and reopened somewhere else but you're right and to be in that just environment they had a beautiful Durga Murti and just to be there I was the only outsider that would come who didn't live there right and come at six in the morning to sit for a whole hour with satsang and kirtan so good it's so good. The best. I, and I do, I mean, they used to say this at both ashrams, but I do think there's something to you when you're around people who have meditated a long time, you like soak it up. Like definitely. Like I would, I know it just would feel so much easier. <laughs> 
Yeah. Have you found places in Chicago for yourself? You know, not really, because we moved here in September and then the pandemic happened in March. So, you know, I've been kind of, you know, it's been good to really like get my home practice really uh, clear that it's for me. Also, not I'm not teaching. So like everything I do, I'm like, well, this is for me. So I do what I want, which has been nice. But yeah, I'm excited to find community again after, hopefully after all this is over. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so weird to not have a studio or an ashram or anywhere right now, but it'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> all in time. I mean, even like, I don't like laughing Lotus kind of is no more basically, you know, with this new transition of the body and soul collective and Jasmine stepping down and it's all virtual and, and, um, it's a collective now and she has the physical space, but to me, the, the it's an end of an era, you know, mm. and, you know, I was very emotional about that, but then it was just like, she's like, it's just a, you know, reincarnation. But I was like, no, it's the end of an era. You know, I was there from day one and laughing Lotus is gone, you know, and, and that's cool. And, and there's a lot, a lot of enthusiasm about this next phase of its development, which is great. Um, but it's weird. It's like, you know, it's everything is just so in the air because it's so virtual now, you know? So it's like to say, I belong to this or I belong to that. My Aquarian nature loves that. It doesn't have to belong to anything <laughs> except the ethers, right? I know you're an Aquarius. Yes. Ah, you know, I'm just showing up in the interwebs and it's like, let it take a life of its own. I love that. Yeah, it is so interesting how uh, all of yoga is going to, what's going to happen. It feels like everything is in the air. Like we're all being shaken like a snow globe. And it's like, who even knows where everything's going to land? But you're right. I'm totally comfortable with it. I'm not anticipating going back. And even there was periods where Jasmine was like, who wants to come back if we start? And I was like, not me. Like I've invested in all the, I'm still investing in all the gear to make it comfortable. I want to get a screen that's like 40 inches. That's my next thing. I want like a freaking theater so I can see everybody and really feel like they're with me, you know, <laughs> or I'm with them. Yeah. So, Cause the boxes are so little. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got out of my computer. Now I have this monitor, but I want a big one. And, and I'm just, you know, I don't know. I don't live in this fear about life or the pandemic but I just, it just works for now. And I don't, and, and the truth is living with, you know, six other elders, I have another, a next level of mindfulness around who I'm with and what I'm doing. I have to, you know, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, for sure. very relaxed, a lot more relaxed here. And, and I've gotten, we've all gotten more relaxed than, you know, we were uh, last year, but I do have to be mindful. So I'm not going to be rushing back into a yoga studio anytime soon. Um, yeah, so much change, so much change. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, like I said, there was things I wanted to do on my own that I just, I don't know. And I, I feel that inside, not that I'm doing anything so outrageously new, but I'll tell you the mantra has gotten a lot stronger and my, my ability to share it has gotten Right, the audience is broader, but the Bhakti Yoga Shah in LA found me and said, Please come and chant for us and teach for us when we need it. And that has just that 
exposed me to a lot of new wonderful people and friends and people exposed to me. So these new venues, you know, and new, you know, ways to connect um, have really, yeah, been just opened a whole new world. And I, in, and primarily through mantra, like I do my yoga teacher, my, my yoga classes, and I reach out to the people on my mailing list and people who find me and want to come, but I, it's the mantra that's really have taken off. And I met some wonderful people who've really inspired me and have really shown me the ropes of how to like work the technology. And cause that's the thing that brings me the most joy. So at this stage of the game, that's really what's important to really go with what is moving and inspiring me so that I can come from that authentic place and share that genuinely. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think a part of a time like this is like, well, might as well do what I want to do then, you know? Um, but yeah, there is. Okay. So this might sound kind of far out, but let's just as Aquarians go there together. <laughs> I have noticed there is like a definite bigger interest in people in meditation and mantra in even the last five years. Like, what is that about? What do you think is going on with people? Is it like a stars thing? Like, what do you think? More than asana or just in general, people are moving? I think not more than, uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think people are still interested in, in asana, but I feel like there's this like growing interest in meditation and different kinds of meditation and mantra. Well, I think those things are very accessible. Mm. What we've done to yoga I think they're starting to pare back and look at what, you know, glorified they've made yoga asana look and how, you know, this particular body type and particular gender or not gender, but um, race, all of it. Now we're seeing bigger bodies. We're seeing brown bodies. We're seeing all kinds of people now, finally, you know, in yoga journal, in magazines. But, you know, I think that accessibility has it's not it's it hasn't been there as much as like come chant with us or you know come sit with us and you can sit on a chair you don't have to sit on a cushion and a cross leg that accessibility we're he, again more of that is being revealed in asana even my friend jivana he he leads he's become very very popular over several years with this accessible yoga you know um but i think these are more these are more accessible practices you know, and, um, but I, I do believe anybody can do asana. And that's what I love as a teacher. Like if you're, you can be in a hospital bed and I'll teach you yoga. You can be in a wheelchair and I'll teach you yoga. Um, so I know that, but a lot of those people don't. Right. Um, but I think with mantra, we, I mean, I used to have a paraplegic who, when I taught at um, Laguna Honda, I remember him just down the hall and he heard me chanting and he wheeled his way down there and he's like, Oh my God. He's like, I know this mantra. My guru used to be this guy. And I mean, it was just unbelievable. So he could do that, but he couldn't practice with us. And then I told him, come in when we're practicing asana and just raise your arms and, you know, do this, that, and the other. But, and with meditation, of course, he could sit in his chair and close his eyes and, you know, and I think we're all just searching here. I think the, the asana, unless you have a really great teacher who brings you back into those teachings and like why and how we're doing this, it's exercise. Mm. And it's exercise that makes us feel really good. I don't, I don't mean to dumb it down, but these other practices take you to here 
you know, and the, the, the meditation, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, in self inquiry is, is essential, right? It's a big part of the yoga practice, but they're bringing us to a place that I think of peace. We're all seeking that. Right. And they also, but I think there's just more of accessibility and the bhakti practice for sure. That element of devotion, like they say, it's like flower and water, the yani yogi, the, the one who's always inquiring and using the mind. And then the bhakti, the bhakti is water. It just adds, it makes it more malleable, malleable. And, and yeah, because otherwise we can get so in our heads. So, and it can be a little dry and then we can either just fade away or, who knows? But the bhakti adds an element of sweetness that I think we all need during the Kali Yuga, right? This dark time. Yeah. And just so everyone knows, would you, by bhakti, do you mean uh, chanting or? Practice of devotional yoga. So that there's like several different practices and kirtan is one of them. Mm. You know, having murti, statues, um, adoring that, bringing flowers to your altar. Like that's a whole nother practice. Um, cooking. So really bringing that element of devotion into several different, you know, areas of your life. That's bhakti relationship to God relationship to peace, establishing that deeper relationship to that, which sustains us because in the end, right? Like, I don't, this isn't to sound like a bummer, but you know, our friends will fail us at times. Our lovers will fail us. They won't come through in that moment, you know, but in the end, it's like that relationship to that God that is within each one of us is that that's, what's going to keep us going. Mm -hmm. Right. And these are just, this is a mirror of that, right? When you have your statues, we need that as humans, we need to be able to see it. And in the Bhakti tradition, you know, specifically Krishna, right? Usually you see these beautiful statues or beautiful murtis and they're, they're they're adorned every day, changed, they get, they have night clothes, they have day clothes, they get fed food, you know, they're worshiped with flowers and incense and fire. So it's just a way that we can express our devotion. Mm. Rather think about it. And all of those actions, like an asana, you know, to extend up through your fingertips and, you know, spread open the collarbones and all that is just like that. That's a way that we bring devotion to it, right? To bring those, um, what do we call them? The, uh, why am I forgetting? <laughs> I should know. The love language, the heart language into asana, right? That's what makes it so beautiful. Not every teacher does that. Not every lineage does that. Especially Jasmine, right? She has such a way with her words. So it's like it just brings to life. And that's what we're doing. We're bringing to life these images of God. So whether it might be a picture of your grandmother and that just ignites your heart. You know, it doesn't have to be Krishna. It doesn't have to be Shiva. Be Buddha, or just the, just putting your eyes on some fresh flowers. It's like, you know, I think we all need that more than ever, just to feel that connection to one another, to the greater good, whatever you want to call it. I completely like what you said was so beautiful. I'm still taking it in, uh, but I totally agree with, and and this is something I I learned from Jasmine, and I'll always be grateful for. Is like she really taught me that yoga is like really a metaphor for the body. And that, that's what really what I got, even a vigorous yoga practice, what I got out of it is it just, to me, I'm such a body learner, a physical learner that it feel, I can feel that it's really a metaphor for, you know, the way I want to live my life. Um, 
And that's been, you know, that's taken me these 15 years of practice to really, you know, still work on, but, um, yeah, definitely. I totally agree. Uh, and actually it's funny you said grandmother, because on my altar is a picture of my grandmother. (laughs) Um, okay. So can we end with something a little bit silly? Um, I will just, I'm going to throw out a few words and you tell me what pose makes you feel that way. Okay. So, uh, okay. What pose makes you feel powerful? Um, Utkatasana and Tindibasana. Okay. What pose makes you feel strong? Um... Chaturanga Dandasana and Navasana. Ooh, good. Uh, funny story. I fell and hurt my tailbone, <laughs> which is so silly. But I couldn't do Navasana for like two weeks because I had a bruise. And I was like, I would love to be in a class because I'd love to be like, no, I have a bruise. I cannot. <laughs> Finally, I have an excuse. You know, I was so happy. I was like, this would be the time. <laughs> Like, do you want to see it? I can't. I promise. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, what pose makes you feel peace? Peace. There's a couple. There's um, child's pose. I feel very peaceful in child's pose. Peace. Um. God, there's a few that come to mind, and maybe even shavasana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. How about joy? Mm, Ardha Chandrasana. Mm-hmm. And um, Bakasana. I feel joy when I go into crow pose. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> Flying. Uh, and then um, last one. What pose makes you feel loving? I love camel. I love Ustrasana and um, yeah, I mean, I love backbends. I love Urvadhanyarasana, but I would say just camel makes me feel all the more expansive and open and loving. And also, um, yeah, I was going to say triangle. There might be another word for it, but I just feel expansive there. And to me, that's what love is. It's expansive. Mm Triangle just makes me feel like I'm home. It's always like, oh, here you. <laughs> well, yeah. Just also love. Um, well, this has been so wonderful talking to you. Uh, really, really great. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, last question is, where can we find you? Oh, you can find me on Instagram at mantra yoga underscore with underscore Astrude. And you can also find me um I have three pages on Facebook. I rarely go on Facebook, but I have um, uh, Astrid in the Caravan. So that's my group. And I have um, Astrid's Kirtan Connection. And then I have Astrid Castillo. And then I have um, yogawithastrid.com. And on all of those, we'll be able to hear about when you're putting out your next album and your classes. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. my class 
courses and workshops. I will mention here, I mean, just I'm going to be, I haven't put it up on the website yet, but I, on social media, it's up. Um, I'm going to do a really sweet, sweet, sweet uh, sound bath with my dear friend and inspiration Cooper. Um, that's going to be on Valentine's night. So it's our time here in California from, we might be almost two hours. We'll see, but I'm going to, we might have a little bit of a little movement in the beginning and then I'll teach a gentle yoga class. And then Cooper is going to step in and just take us to some other dimensions with sound and we'll do it through zoom. And we both have an amazing hookup. So like you, it sounds like we're in studio and, um, and it'll be really, really beautiful. And nobody has to be alone on Valentine's day. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Okay. Well, we'll definitely put all of that up in the show notes and thank you again. It was so inspiring to talk to you. See you, Rebecca. You too. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> so that was Estrude. Um, it's interesting. I feel like um, mantra sometimes, or, or for me, it was like the last, yeah, like kind of the last spiritual practice that I could get behind because I really don't think I can sing. Well, I know I can't sing and um, I don't know, I have a hard time kind of letting my voice out. Like uh, this is maybe TMI, but even in labor, they were like, oh, she's so quiet because it's like not my natural inclination when I'm feeling big feelings to uh, let it out through my mouth, if that makes any sense at all. Uh, but uh, I will say I've had really wonderful experiences chanting. There is this, um, it, it feels really good to use your voice. It kind of feels like it like pulls a lot up and out, you know, literally things come out of your mouth. Um so yeah, it's, it's definitely a practice worth checking out. Um, even just chanting, you don't have to sing, just chanting one word or, you know, a Sanskrit word, a sutra or, you know, a, you know, any of these, anything, you know, just at, chanting the same thing over and over is a really good way to focus the mind. Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe in new, when things change. Uh, and we can be in community again. Kirtans are really interesting experiences. Definitely, you know, something to check out um, for sure. Especially with a kirtan leader like Estrude, <laughs> who, yeah, you can just tell that she is so genuine and you can hear it in her voice. So it, it definitely adds to the room. Um, so speaking of chanting, one thing people can chant are sutras, as I said, and we have a new sutra this week. Yesterday, we or last, not yesterday, last week, we talked about one of my favorite sutras, um, Sutra 252, which talks about, um, the, talks about suffering, love to talk about suffering. I'm sorry, it's 215, love to talk about suffering, and, um, then, 216 also talks about suffering and it says prevent the suffering that is yet to come so yeah suffering is a part of life that's what we learned in 215 and just from living life right it's everyone is going to suffer at some point uh but the suffering that is yet to come is that suffering that you could prevent so um 
Kate Holcomb calls them the suffering on top of suffering, the blame, shame, guilt, the coulda, shoulda, whatas of suffering, right? So once you're aware that everyone suffers, uh, there can be a sense of acceptance around the suffering that you're going through. So instead of saying, you know, as I was talking about last week, like instead of saying like, oh, I'm suffering because I did this and I should have done that, you know, I could have shut her or I'm suffering because she did this or he did that. And that's why I'm suffering. And, and those could be true. Like they could be valid, but the thing is like, you know, there's no like court of law. And just because you find someone, you figure out what caused your suffering. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll stop suffering. Like, of course, you know, as I said, as I've said before, like if somebody is stepping on your foot, you know, kick them off. But, um, the mental gymnastics of um, trying to avoid suffering is sometimes worse than the suffering itself. So instead of, you know, saying, oh, oh I sh- if only it had been this way, or if only I had done this, or only he had done that, instead of saying that, just accepting that in this moment you're suffering and that, yeah, like, people suffer. Um, yeah, it's... Um, Oh, what is the name of that book? Oh, it's um when when bad things happen to good people by Harold S. Kushner. Uh, but he says he talks about how, you know, how that that annoying thing that people say when you're going through a rough time, which is like, oh, everything happens for a reason. And he's like, well, that I mean, that's like maybe not true. I don't think it's true. And also like not helpful and he says like why can't we just say that bad things happen for no reason and that the universe has some rough edges and I think what this sutra is saying is like acceptance of those rough edges like acceptance that sometimes you're going to suffer it doesn't mean that'll stop the suffering but you won't pile on the suffering on top of the suffering you're already going through if that makes any sense (laughs) um yeah so with that, um, I welcome you to enjoy your week or I, I'm so bad at ending things. I think it's because I just want to talk forever. But um, with that, um, I hope you have a wonderful week and happy new president. <laughs> and uh, I will talk to you next week. Bye.